Hello and welcome to the Sports Grab Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And joining me, as per usual, is the star of the Sports Grab Podcast, Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan, my fellow star of the Sports Grab Podcast. I'm doing fantastic, mate. Winter is well and truly upon us, and we're talking about cricket, so life is good. It is very exciting. Uh, it is winter, and we're both wearing some nice little sweaters here. I do like your, th- uh, what do you call it, a three-quarter zip? Uh, a half zip, I think. Half zip, yeah, mm. it's very nice, very nice. Uh, yeah, talking about cricket in winter, which is unusual, mm. uh, but very exciting episode today, mm. uh, which I'm super keen for. Haven't had uh, anyone of this quality in cricket for some time, I wouldn't have thought. No, so that's right. Very, very exciting. So let's get cracking. Uh, I'm Ryan Walker, he's Ruben Williams, and we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia, and now we help people find their own dream job through this very podcast and our online community. If you want to follow us, head over to our LinkedIn, or even better, if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in sport, jump into the sports grade community. And a quick shout-out to one of our favourite sports grade community members, Saloni Pradhan has just landed a full-time job at Cricket Australia, our beloved birthplace of our <laughs> full-time careers. The factory. Uh, the factory. Saloni <laughs> <laughs> uh, has found a full-time job there as a customer support officer, uh, which is fantastic for her. Her dream when she came over to Australia from India for the first time was to end up working in Cricket Australia. And she's been able to do that uh, and make it happen to full-time capacity, which is absolutely amazing. So, Saloni, we are stoked for you. But uh, if you are like Saloni and you want to get your foot in the door of the biggest organisations in the sports industry, or if you're like Cricket Australia and you don't want to throw a rock in the ocean of these massive public job boards, you want to try and keep it nice and tight with some quality people, come and hire through the sports grad community uh, because there really is a lot of talent going around in there. So, Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community to get involved. Absolutely. Shout out to Saloni. What an absolute superstar. Mm. So good on her. Uh, Rubes, Deacon has been a massive supporter of Sportsgrad since day one. So if you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for that same role. If you want to jump in and uh, basically pump up your resume and get specialised knowledge in sports behaviour, law, marketing, above other things, there's everything at Deakin University. So check out their Master of Business in Sports Management. It's not one of, but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postcode to your resume, and that's our tip for the episode. Brilliant tip. Now, Ryan, uh, our guest today is Blair Crouch. You mentioned that uh, it's been a while since we've had some high-quality talent from cricket. Mm. Uh, Blair is the general manager of the Melbourne Stars, the biggest team in the BBL. Mm. Uh, And so Blair's history is fascinating. He started off in a marketing degree before starting his career at HSV, which stands for Holden Special Vehicles before moving on to Carlton United Breweries in a marketing role, continuing that marketing theme in, at Gemba, uh, then moved on to head of partnerships at the AFL. Like what, what a role that would have been. Yeah. Uh, he spent some time at MKTG and then transferred all that marketing experience into this general manager role at the Melbourne Stars. So he's had to learn a few things on the job once he's got there, which you'll hear about when we get to it. But um, uh, a few things to look forward to. Number one, Blair's pathway is absolutely fascinating. You know, his role is the equivalent to Jerry Krause's role at the Chicago Bulls during the 90s. For those who have seen The Last Dance, Jerry Krause plays a big role in cementing what players Michael Jordan has around him. That is the best way to describe Blair Crouch's role, I would have thought. So 
tune in to hear about how he's got to this position. Yeah, and, and following on from that, just what goes into the Melbourne Stars approach to the BBL draft, which you'll see very, very soon. I believe it might even be tomorrow or yesterday. I'm not quite sure. Mm. But it is an amazing event. So just hearing all the prep that goes into that, and they've done a bit of content around that as mm. well. Super, super cool. And they've never had a draft before. So very new uh, experience for these guys too, which is awesome to hear about. Uh, and then finally, for those who do want this Jerry Krause type of role, head of the organisation, want to be managing a bit of everything, uh, Blair gives us an overview of some of the essential skills and experiences that you need to pick up if you are looking to manage a professional team. Yeah, awesome. Well, grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Blair Crouch. Blair, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Blair, when you started your career and you kind of exited uni and started setting your sights on where you would go, did you ever think you'd end up being the general manager of a professional sporting team? Um, in some respects, no. Um, but I, I always did have ambition, um, which I think is probably, uh, you know, obviously helped me along my career. But, but maybe I'll explain and go back a step and sort of give you a sense for the environment that I was in back then um, because I was fortunate to be part of a sporting family, I suppose, and I grew up in, in country Victoria, uh, up in Bendigo, but um, my father played a lot of football, played for the Bombers in the late 60s, uh, and then moved to Perth and played for Subiaco and won a flag over there uh, in sort of the early 70s. I was, I was born over in Perth, but then um, not long after that we moved to Bendigo. So I suppose growing up in the country is a, um, a, just a normal, normal, very basic uh, upbringing we played a lot of sport um, so I, in, in some respects uh, my path was always probably destined to be sport um, but it really wasn't until probably my teenage years in some respects that um, my mum actually returned to work after being home for a long time looking after my older brother and my younger sister and I and she moved into a role with a company called Sport Focus um, and that was a community-based sporting organisation and her her role was really to encourage participation um, so in some respects, it was a trailblazing role for a woman in the probably early 90s then to take that role and, and she was very focused on on promoting uh, participation amongst girls uh, in particular. So um, then all of a sudden, the probably, you know, probably the, the sports administration path was, was sort of displayed in front of me um, without knowing it. But yeah, look, as I said, I had ambition, but to be honest, I didn't always have the application. So um, when I got into uni, I did a fairly... Uh, generic degree in marketing, not really knowing where I wanted to end up. Um, at the same time, thinking that sport would be a great place for me to to end up, but I didn't really know how to get there. Um, and during my third year at uni, I just applied for roles. This was back in the days pre-seek and pre-recruitment companies <laughs> and pre-really sort of the the tools that you know your community have at their disposals now. Um, so I wrote ten letters um, to CEOs of companies I wanted to work for. Um, and then one of them thankfully um, responded and said, look, there's nothing available at the moment, but if something comes up, I'll let you know. Uh, about three months later, um, I got a call from a guy called um, John Crennan um, at uh, HSV, who was the CEO at the time. Uh, and he said, look, there might be a marketing role available. Do you want to have a, have a look at it? So that's what I did. And then sort of from that point forward, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be involved in some great companies who have either been sort of by default involved in sport Mm. Um, or clearly now what I do is is sort of uh, it, it revolves around sport and revolves around cricket. So, yeah, sort of So to answer your question, did I think I'd get here? Probably not. <laughs> um, ambition's always important, but, you know, certainly 
uh, at times I guess I lack the direction and lack the um, the application. But um, you know, the one thing I've learnt over the years is if you if you if you work your butt off, um, eventually you might get where you want to get to. How old were you? Did, did you say when you wrote those letters, the CEOs? Yeah, I was in third year uni. Um, yeah. I actually think it was a lecturer who gave us that tip uh, and said, "If you've got a, uh, if you've got something in mind that you'd like to pursue from a first job point of view, just sit down and think about who that might be." So I wrote them to all the big companies. Of course, no one. I think I got one response from the ten. So that's all I needed. Um, who are the big companies? Oh, from memory, they were the likes of you know Coca Cola and. Um, <laughs> Probably, I don't know, some of the big yeah. fashion brands, I don't know. But <laughs> automotive was one that was sort of on my radar. Um, and again, I don't quite know why I sort of wrote them down, but um, maybe I'd seen what HSV had done in building a brand um, mm. and, and the work they did through the Holden Racing team. So, you know, that was a really lucky break that I got early on. Um, it also probably exposed me uh, for the first time to the power of sport in storytelling, um, which has really been a theme throughout my career and, and seeing the, the, the impact that the likes of Peter Brock and Mark Scaife and Craig Lowndes and all of those successful race car drivers yeah. have on a brand like HSV to then go on retail cars and sort of tell amazing stories um, was pretty cool. So uh, a lucky break early on, but then I suppose you from then on you make your own luck. Love it. Um, every career sort of has some critical moments in it that sort of pave you know, the way forward. If you had to pick two or three basically prepared you to get to where you are now, what, what would they be? Uh, if you consider the moment that you're uh, told that you've been awarded a role, um, I think probably uh, I can remember three of those moments in my career that have been yeah. most impactful and that's probably also one that's relevant for your audience in that they're either looking at what their employment opportunities might be coming out of uni or they're in that phase of looking either for their second job or looking to further their career um, and even if you know you've been approached about a role, which a couple of times you know I've I've, I've been in that situation, you're still full of um, anxiety and and sort of nerves, um, you know, as to whether you'll get the role or not. Because every time you go through a process, you've got your heart set on on mm. getting that role. So three moments that I think have been really very impactful in my career would be the first time that um, I was told that I was successful um, uh, with a role at Gemba. Um, so that was in uh, about 2007, um, you know, and Gemba was one of the first, I think, sports marketing organisations that really, you know, helped the industry um, and, and it was set up by three amazing individuals and I got to spend five years learning from the likes of Ben Crow um, and obviously Crow has gone on to do some amazing things with Mojo Crow in the last sort of few years, the work he's done with athletes and, um, you know, he was the one that, that really taught me the power of storytelling, um, which he was very good at helping our clients understand. Um, Rob Mills was the other founding partner and he was, you know, a, a brilliant strategic marketer. Um, interestingly, he was ex-Adidas and Crowe was ex-Nike, so <laughs> they came from very opposite sides of the fence. But Best of the best coming together. <laughs> exactly, um, which also created some healthy tension. Um, you know, their, their thinking was very different, their approaches were very different, um, but ultimately their desire to help the sports industry was, um, was, was you know, the same. Um, and, and so they did an amazing job with that. Uh, and the third founding partner who I got to work closely with was James Hurd, um, an incredible individual um, who I learnt a lot of, you know, a lot from. Um, you know, his ability to open doors in Melbourne um, was, um, was sort of unparalleled and 
I think I really learnt the power of relationships from James. Um, so that was one moment that really exposed me to the sports industry. Um, and again, a bit of a lucky break. But, um, you know, through that time, I then got exposed to the AFL. Uh, and, and the reason that happened was that most of the clients that Gemba were working with were the big investors in sport. And typically, um, their, their largest investment in sports marketing was was with the AFL. So it was the likes of Toyota or Coke. Um, and so I got to, you know, by, I suppose, by virtue of that role, spend time with the guys at the AFL. Um, and then when a role came up that was appropriate for me to be considered for there, um, that was another moment that really helped define my career when I was told, yes, you've been successful um, in, in this role within the AFL commercial team. Because what that meant was all of a sudden um, I was central to, you know, the largest portfolio of sort of sponsorship investment in the mm. country. Um, you know, part of, you know, multi-year deals with naming rights partners that ultimately... Um, you know, probably have been surpassed now, but at the time were some of the biggest deals in Australian sport. Um, so certainly being told that, yes, you've been successful for that role was another moment um, yeah. that I look back very fondly on. Uh, and the third, probably more relevant to now, was um, when I was told by Nick Cummins, who, you know, is the Cricket Victoria CEO, that you've been successful with the Stars role. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a background in cricket. Um, obviously, I've got a fairly solid background in various sports and entertainment in, environments, but... Um, I was really pleased that they were able to see beyond my lack of, um, you know, depth in cricket experience and, and see what I can bring to the role outside of that. So that was probably a third moment that I look back pretty fondly on. And each one of them would fill you with so much confidence along the way, just being knowing that you are good enough to step into this role. And even the uh, people that you had to, or that you got to work under at Gemba is incredible. For those people who don't know, much about those names. James Hurd's obviously an AFL superstar and, and Ben Crow is Ash Bart or was Ash Barty's mental coach, yeah, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I think from what I can tell, the role that Crow has played with Ash is, is, is really helped. Um, I don't know if it's redefined, but certainly define her mental approach mm. um, to the role that she plays within sport. And, and you see how relaxed and how uh, authentic uh, she is um, in the in, in the public light. You know, mm. I think it was very different to the way athletes typically present themselves. Um, and Ben was very very big on that, and always was very big on that. Um, you know, just this level of authenticity. You know, with athletes in particular, and he he really, uh, you know, he learnt that I'm sure with the amount of time he spent at Nike and dealing with the biggest athletes in the world, um, formed his own opinion of of how they should. Um, not act, but how they should sort of present themselves and was able to do that with Ash and, and even some of the um, Richmond players. I know he's worked closely with Dustin Martin and some of the Richmond um, um, potentially even coaching group, I'm not sure, but certainly was a part of their success. Mm. Um, so, yeah, an amazing individual who has just sort of found a niche for him for himself <laughs> and doing some amazing things with Mojo Crow. Mm. And do you, can you recall one specific bit of advice or comment that he made to you that's stuck with you? Um, yeah, he, he sort of, uh, he had this, he has this approach to storytelling, which, um, I actually got to present one of his presentations to a conference at one stage, which, um, you know, taking credit for his work was nice on that day, but it was certainly, <laughs> certainly all him. And he, he sort of talks about the, the three most powerful forms of storytelling, uh, in the world, um, are education. Um, so the ability for a teacher or, or um, um, an environment that is around education for children in particular, you know, to be able to teach children things is a wonderful form of storytelling. Um, religion is the second best form of storytelling, according to Crowey, uh, if I can recall from all those years ago. 
Um, but he always said the best form of storytelling was sport um, and that notion of uh, heroes and villains, um, winners and losers, um, consequences. Um, I mean, we see even overnight with Meg Lanning and the Australian girls winning the first ever Commonwealth um, um, uh, Com Games gold medal. Mm. Um, that's a wonderful piece of storytelling. Um, I, I had a look this morning at the um, the winner of the 1500. Um, oh, how good. Um, Ollie Hall. Ollie Hall, the first winner of that medal since I think Herb Elliott. Um, mm. You know, what a wonderful story that is. And again, it's just... You know, the Com Games, the Olympic Games, the World Cup, um, the BBL, um, you know, any professional sporting environment, even, you know, community sporting environments are the best uh, environments to tell amazing stories. So, you know, I think that's certainly one thing that Ben has been able to do very well. Beautiful. Well, we've been talking about Ben and his potential to do a podcast. We might have to ask yeah. for an introduction after this. Yeah. <laughs> he, his <laughs> office is across the road, as I'm sure He's you would know. He's a very busy man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but maybe we'll have to have a chat to Larry. Offline, we'll, we'll get on the wait list. Yeah, it's yeah, on the wait list. Yeah, he's got a wait. There's a few guests lined up. So. <laughs> I meant for us. We're, yeah. we're waiting. <laughs> um, awesome. Let's talk about your role now. Now, when um, when uh, the documentary about uh, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls came out, the role of Jerry Krause and general manager became very well publicised. Mm-hmm. Does it, is that what your role looks like? <laughs> uh, good question. Um. I'm a little bit different to Jerry, I think. Um, <laughs> look, wasn't that, but again, storytelling, what a great example of of telling the story of the Chicago Bulls during an incredibly successful period, but just the, the stories behind the stories and the layers of personalities and complexities. And, you know, I think my role, you know, in, in comparison to that is certainly much simpler, um, which is probably good. But um, <laughs> my role is, is certainly, um, you know, I think for, for your audience to explain, um you know, responsible for all of the things that you would expect, um, you know, a GM to be. So, you know, from from a club point of view, whether it be, you know, our marketing uh, objectives, so whether it be traditional forms of marketing right through to our social and digital, uh, our content, um, you know, there is obviously the event presentation. So the work that we do at the MCG or the Junction Oval or uh, the way we put on events is ultimately sort of, um, I suppose, under my responsibility. Um, we are very well resourced by... The Cricket Victoria team, so we do have a shared services model. Um, there is a digital and social team that operate within CV that we work with. Uh, there's finance, there's um, people and culture, all of the things that you would expect. So, you know, my, my role, um, I suppose the breadth of my role is something that I most enjoy. Um, and, and the thing that I'm, I'm learning very quickly and I'm learning from others who are experts in this space is, um, is the list management. So that's probably one thing that is different to my role than some other BBL GMs and um, ultimately um, the, the, the list uh, for the stars for both WBBL and BBL um, sits under my responsibility. So I work very closely with our coaching group on that. In fact, we had another hour and a half session with David Hussey, uh, Clint Mackay and Ben Rohrer last week in preparation for the BBL overseas draft. Uh, so for the first time this year, there'll be a draft where we compete with all the other clubs uh, in who we um, select. Um, players have to nominate for the draft. They nominate at a level, uh, gold, silver, bronze, and that determines their salary. And then on the 28th of August um, at the Fox studios, we'll all be sitting around tables um, calling out the players that we, that we draft. So um, there's a lot that goes into that. There's probably a month's worth of analysis and looking at, you know, player statistics and looking at uh, conditions of um, the MCG versus the away games that we'll play uh, and trying to find the, the secret 
herbs and spices, I guess, yeah, <laughs> to sort of, um, you know, basically recruit the players that we think are going to make us most most successful, which is which is really exciting, mm. and that's a part that part of my job that I love. Yeah. When you're trying to think about an upcoming draft, what are some of the first steps that you take to get ready for it? Um, it, it comes down to, to to pretty pretty basically player need. So if you look at our list at the moment, um, you know you can see there's particular skill sets that we need. Um, you know, and you look at, for example, last year we brought in Joe Clark, uh, an English player keeper bat, uh, because at that stage we didn't have a local keeper. So you know that drives part of your strategy. Um, you know, we had some injury concerns last year with some of our fast bowlers. Um, so bringing in Harris Ralph and Andre Russell really filled a need um, from a from a player requirement point of view. Um, so really that's the strategy that we'll go into with this year again is you're very clear on what's the skill set that you have to go and find. From there you then look at all the players who sort of fit that bill. Um, from there you look at you know the number of games I'll be available and the, the contract um, that, that will be associated with them because you've got to fit it under your cap. Um, and that's sort of the fun stuff as well. He's trying to work out just mm. bang for buck. Um, and, you know, Nick Cummins, who I mentioned before, has been very good in the, in the role um, prior to me, finding some, some real hidden gems. Um, you know, found Harris Ralph as a sort of a, an unknown player um, out of Pakistan when he was at the Hurricanes, and Harris has now gone on to be one of the best fast bowlers in the world. So, you know, looking at, at, at data um, and using statistics to try and understand who... Uh, you know who might be uh, the most appropriate is, is the way we go about it. And what about when uh, when Plan A fails and your player gets pinched before you get a chance? How do you prepare for that? Yeah, we've got scenario plans for that. Um, so Full we whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in fact, we're um, we are filming uh, a, a road to the draft little mini series um, nice. that we've we've filmed the first two episodes already, and we've got a, a third one being filmed. Uh, I think a uh, week after next, and then we'll we'll film one on draft night. So, so you'll you'll have your own last dance series to come out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not quite sure it's that big, but uh, yeah, similar formula. Um, but Is even that just, just for the stars. Yep. Yeah. 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 Not so a that's, whole BBL. No, so that's a, a, an initiative of our media and comms yeah. manager Andrew Mays, um, who's a fantastic operator and thinks really um, creatively about yeah. these things. So, uh, we saw the first cut of episode one on Friday. It goes for about four and a half minutes, and it's literally just myself and the three coaches in the room. Yeah. Um, going through our strategy so agreeing on sort of principles agreeing on the things that we that are non-negotiables going into that um we're now at the point where we've got a sense for who's in the pool there's about 240 players i think that have nominated um for the overseas draft um either gold uh silver or, or bronze level um and we're now looking at those and we've got plan a plan b plan c i mean we're fortunate that we that in the lottery for the draft we got uh pick two um, so because we finished outside the finals last year, um, we were either going to get pick one, pick two or pick three. Um, so the Renegades were fortunate to get pick one. Uh, we got pick two. Um, so it means you can plan your strategy um, relatively safely, knowing that you've got certain players in the pool that only one other club can take ahead of you for rounds one and two. Uh, and then by the time we get to rounds three and four, um, it will literally be we just look at our scenario planning and we hope that one of the players that we wanted are still available. Mm. It'll be ha- good fun. Yeah, no, it, it sounds awesome. It genuinely sounds awesome. Um, we're looking forward to it. Um, I'm interested to hear sort of how you were able to to learn sort of that list management side of things when, when you, you do have that sort of marketing commercial background. Mm. So I'm, I, I'd imagine it wouldn't come completely natural. I think we all sort of 
We could all have an opinion on, oh, we should pick up this person and this person, but it would be an art at the same time. So I'm sure you would have lent on a few people to, to learn all, all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the key. Um, you got to be a good listener. Uh, you got to ask, uh, ask the right questions. Mm. Um, and, and that's what I've done a lot. Um, I was appointed to the role in an interim capacity back in sort of April of last year, April, May last year. Um, so I had sort of a, um, a fairly, uh, fairly sort of steady or uh, a list that was pretty much locked away at that stage. So yeah. it wasn't really until this year where I've had the chance to um, either recontract players uh, or look at perhaps other players that might better suit our needs. Yeah. Um, but that also extends right through to the coaching group and the off-field group as well. So making sure we've got the best group available, um, you know, to, to, to let the players do what they do and that's, you know, play the best cricket in the world. Mm. Um, so I've asked a lot of questions. I've spent a lot of time with Nick Cummins who, as I said, is very, very good at this. He's been, he's, he's been doing it for a number of years uh, he's previously been GM of the Thunder. Um, he ran cricket in Tassie as a CEO down there for a, for a few years. So uh, intimate knowledge of of um, the formula. Um, yeah. So I have spent a lot of time listening and learning from him. Uh, and then having the likes of David Hussey available as our head coach and Clint Mackay and Ben Rohr I mentioned before. These guys have been around cricket all their lives. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you can't learn from them, um, then you're in the wrong job. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I do spend as much time as possible I'm just listening and learning from those guys. Uh, I was just going to say, like, how does it work with obviously Nick, CEO, you as GM, he oversees obviously both teams. Yep. How does that decision making take place? Because I'd imagine the two GMs would need to have their spin on it, but at the end of the day, there's still the CEO to have a look at it as well. Yeah, we're run. All, I mean, I've got autonomy over the club to sort of make decisions. Yeah. On behalf of the stars. Um, now, ultimately. Um, there will be times where Nick will be consulted on things that might yep. relate to an investment we're making into a community program or, um, you know, the direction we're taking with particular things like a coaching reappointment. Yep. Um, because, yeah, Cricket Victoria, you know, um, have a vested interest in the success of the two clubs. Um, it's a really important part of the role that we play, which ultimately the Stars as a club, yeah, our mission's very clear. It's to engage the next generation of cricket fans through yep. this thing that we call fun family entertainment uh, and that's what the BBL was first set up to be uh, and that's what it continues to be. So um, ultimately, um, James Rosengarten, who's the GM of the Renegades, and I have autonomy over the decisions we make. Um, but we have a board, um, Cricket Victoria, where we report into and we, yep. we share information with. And um, Nick's very good in that he'll give us, um, you know, all the, all the freedom that we need to, to sort of do our job. Yeah, nice. Is there a bit of rivalry there, or do you guys get along okay? Uh, we're frenemies. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we we do naturally work closely together off the field, but but in all seriousness, once it's on, um, yeah, there is genuine competition, um, and I'm sure he would say the same. I, I I can think of nothing better than beating the Renegades this year <laughs> when we play them uh, on the G, and then the reverse derby uh, at Marvel. Um, and, and naturally, there's a lot of interaction amongst our players. You know, a lot of them are Victorian. Um, you know, Maxi and, and Finchie are good mates. But but once it's on the field of play, um, a little bit like how you see in the AFL, a lot of the guys are friends. But once you get over that white line, yep. uh, it's on. Mm. It, it does interest me because there's not too many other places around the world where you'd see two clubs like living under the, the same mm. roof and under the same banner of Cricket Victoria. Yeah, it's certainly unique um, and I think has its benefits. Um, you know, last week, for example, we, we both ran uh, what we call our Stars Road Trip and the Renegades call their Renegades um, 
state blitz or roadshow, I think. Um, and, and then so together we sort of plan how we're going to go out into communities and, and we ended up visiting 50, 50-odd schools in, in three days um, in the eastern part of Victoria and they, they went west and did the same. Uh, and all of that's underpinned by a community engagement team who, who basically work for Cricket Victoria uh, mm. but see the benefit of using the, the brands of the Stars and the Renegades as... Uh, as the best way to engage kids in particular um, because, you know, kids identify with with us and with our players and, and that's the best way that we can engage that next generation of cricket fans. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like at a community level you've got this kind of two-pronged attack where if they don't go for the Stars, they probably go for the Renegades and you've got both there to capture them and bring them into cricket. Absolutely, yeah. And the way we work that out is it's literally you take a line and run it down the middle of Victoria, everything east is the Stars, everything west is the Gades. Yeah. Mm. Um, but similar methodologies in engaging communities and, um, you know, they're very strong down through Wyndham and do a lot of work on that side and we're very strong out through Casey. Um, you know, we host our family day at the city of Casey and we do a lot of activity out, out through there. And um, we were down in Maui last Friday planting trees for tree day. So there's, there's lots of stuff that we do um, that we consult each other on. But one, yeah, when it comes to competition, it's, um, it's on. on. Yeah. Yeah. On for all money. <laughs> awesome. Um, can I understand it? Is there something about your role that, you know, something you do that people would not expect you to do? Um, oh look, I think I found that when I was on the road last year for WBBL, there was a lot of stuff that we had to do just because it all needed to deck. be done. <laughs> yeah, we um, we were all sent down to Hobart uh, in October of last year for two weeks hard quarantine. Um, this is back when that was a real thing. Uh, yeah. It's amazing how quickly the world moves on. And I see even Talia McGrath was positive with COVID yesterday but still played uh, in the Com Games final. Yeah. So. She wasn't allowed to celebrate. Yeah, something <laughs> like they'd get a wicket and she'd just stand off and be like, "Yes." Well, that's what we had for all of all of W and yeah. all of BBL. Sorry, because WBBL was run in um, Tassie and, and Adelaide, who were both then sort of inverted commas what they called green states. So back then there was no COVID active in those in those states, which is why we went down there to play. Um, but yeah, for BBL when we had Harris Ralph and Andre Russell arrive in the country, they were still within their sort of five days quarantine period so for the first two games they couldn't high five their teammates when they took a wicket well they, they had to stand and had the separate dressing room yeah. and had to, anyway so let's hope we never return to those days um <laughs> but to answer your question look i remember you know throwing balls in the nets or fielding in adelaide just because we needed a, 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 a pair of hands out there you know throwing balls back to yeah. the coaches um for wbbl so one of the great things about being part of a club and this is the first club i've been part of um, when I was at the AFL, you realise that no one barracks for you. Um, in fact, most fans uh, were quite the opposite in that they're very quick to, you know, criticise the AFL. But this this is the first time I've been involved in a club which, you know, I love the sense of belonging and the sense of community that you have within the club and, you know, I can't imagine what it will be like once we once we finally, you know, achieve the success that we, that we haven't been able to yet. But mm. the reason that's important and relevant to your question is, Everybody just gets involved and does what they need to do. So whether it be, you know, carrying signage halfway around the MCG on game day to get things set up or literally, you know, throwing balls back to a coach so they can throw it down to Meg to smack back in the outfield and me go and chase and throw back. Um, just anything, um, you know, I think as a GM you get involved in, in particular at times where you've got, you know, limited resources on the road. Um, but... Uh, yeah, there's probably no other specifics yeah. I can think of, but do you, yeah. Do you enjoy that? Like, is that? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, hands on. Like, we so I got Jerry Krause before. Like, he's probably not throwing balls to uh, to MJ. <laughs> like, being actively involved in what's happening. Yep. 
yeah, would I do. Be quite I love cool. it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and I think that's also what builds passion. Um, you know, for what you're doing is. Uh, not that you necessarily go into those environments thinking how can I get involved in everything, but yeah. if there is a need, um, and as I said, I think during those they were pretty challenging times down in Tassie. We, you know, we took a group away on the twenty twenty seventh of September, uh, and we didn't return home until the twenty eighth of November or something. So it was a long time away, um, and we had a really young group. You know, we had two of our players who were seventeen one who was 18 um so you are really you know managing a group of of people um who um you know probably weren't prepared for or weren't expecting that to be part of their professional cricketing journey mm. um, so if it means you just get involved in doing anything to try and have a positive influence on the group um as the leader of the group then that's what you do mm. Mm. That would have been final exams time for that 17-year-old. Well, we actually had to organise um, through uh, one of the PDMs, so the, the player development managers who was travelling with us, um, a, a room, I think from memory it was at, might have been at the Adelaide Oval for one of our girls to sit through her year 12 exams. Wow. Um, so, you, I mean, you sort of, it, you know, it's, it's very glamorous, the life of a professional athlete, but the reality is if you're sort of at uh, that stage of life where you're still studying, then you have to have to learn to balance both. Mm. And credit to the girls who were prepared to do that and were able to do that because I cast my mind back to myself as a 17-year-old, as I said earlier, I always had ambition, but sort of the application wasn't always there. Um, I would have really struggled with that. So mm. credit to them for, for to, ha- to have the maturity to be able to do that. Mm. I would have switched off. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, at the stars now, I'm good. Well, well, yeah. you're, yeah. you're away from home, you're getting paid to play cricket yeah. as an athlete, you've got freedoms so that hard. your friends don't have. Mm. Um, you know, we're in Adelaide, you've got freedom to go shopping or whatever you've got Mm. stuff to do whereas those back in victoria were still pretty much in lockdown Mm. and at school studying so yeah credit credit to those girls Mm. and i can confirm when you're in a team catching the balls and throwing the back is one of the best parts so i was a team liaison (laughs) officer for the new zealand women's team when the world cup came to town great and the highlight of that was standing in the outfield at karen rolton whilst sophie devine just belted six after six and you're standing there having catching practice good fun isn't it roll on the back yeah it also gives you an appreciation for the fact that these are the best athletes in Mm. the world um and i think that's one of the things that we we sometimes take for granted i mean you look around at even the rosters of the the domestic players in the bbl or wbbl um these are the best cricketers in the world um so to be you know able to be out there on the field of play with them and not that that's why you go into a role in sport but it is a nice byproduct of the fact that you're out there and whether Mm. you're working in badminton or afl or darts or cricket um if you're working with the best of the best that is a real privilege mm, absolutely yeah um blair you mentioned at the start that you uh, had a bit of trouble with your career direction coming out of university mm-hmm. for those who are struggling with the same sort of questions what sort of skills would you recommend these people start to begin learning uh, i think the most important thing that i've learned which i think others can learn is is relationship building um, so one thing that I've learned over the years is the ability to, um, you know, find people who you can learn from uh, and continue to go back to them um, to, to develop yourself is really important. Um, so for your community, I think if you, if you think that the ability for people to connect with others through things like LinkedIn um, is so easy these days, um, you know, I love it when people reach out to me and just say, hey, look, um, you know, I'm studying this or I'm thinking of doing this or um, I'd love to just grab five minutes of your time to learn, um, you know, 
a little bit more about your career, um, I always take time to have those conversations because you know, I think that's probably the one thing that um, people can focus a lot on is just how do I further myself through learning from others and, and I still do it now. Um, you know, I was with, um, I mean, I, I won't drop names because it's a bit, it's a bit um, you know, probably unnecessary, but, you know, I still reach out to people who I admire within the industry, whether they be CEOs of uh, professional sporting teams or, or other um, categories, and, and I just say to them, look, if you've got half an hour for a coffee, um, because you'll learn something. Um, and even if you just put yourself at the centre of their thinking for a short amount of time, you never know where that's going to potentially help you down the track. Um, so yes, I, I, at times I, I was a bit unsure about where my career was heading, but um, if I think about all of the roles that I got uh, that I was that I've been given over the years, they're all connected. They're all connected by people that I got to know in the previous previous uh, role. So if I play that out for a second. Um, I got to know the, the team at CUB when I was at HSV because they were heavily invested in, in, in motor racing. My next job was at CUB. Uh, at CUB I got to know the team at Gemba because they'd done some work um, for CUB. My next job was at Gemba. Uh, Gemba to the AFL, the same connection because I got to know people at the AFL. Um, AFL to Mooney Valley was a little bit different but there were still people who knew people within the AFL industry who, 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 who were on the board there. Um, and, and, and so forth. So I, I think that ability to, you know, either you create the relationship by reaching out to someone and trying to make a connection or when you're in that environment, you look to foster those relationships for not your own benefit but, I, you know, I think to, to further yourself um, I think is a really important point which, um, you know, I've been able to do over my career. It's a great example of how like once you're in, you're in and it becomes yeah. a lot easier to leverage that and, go to whatever you're trying to achieve i think as well what you said around if you catch up with someone you'll learn something yeah absolutely mm. doesn't mean you have to learn 50 things you'll walk away with something that you didn't have when you were in and you know that that's how you always say is like that's how you learn Mm. about the industry or about Mm. what you want to get into you actually speak to the people inside it yep take one thing away and that's been a success Uh, i think it's really cool to hear that people at the top Continue to do that. Like it's not just a thing that you do when you're starting and you're trying to meet everybody, but yeah. you continue to do that Absolutely. right the way through. I, I went to the Boss Summit in Sydney about six weeks ago um, just because it was the first chance I had to actually attend a sports conference, you know, for, for years because of COVID. Um, and out of that, I've had probably three catch-ups with people that either I had a relationship with or I had previously known, but um, over the COVID period in particular, those relationships had sort of died out a little bit. And I think that's one thing that, I really struggled with during COVID was just the ability to stay connected to people. So I'm now making more of an effort to, to do more of what we're doing today or to, to be just in people's presence. Um, so one I'm sure who won't mind men- me mentioning is that um, I reached out to Gavin Kirkman after the, the summit, who's the, the CEO of the PGA, um, because I just wanted to learn about where golf is going. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a sort of seminal time in golf at the moment with the PGA and the Australian Open um, or Golf Australia, sorry, kind of coming together mm. for the first time. You've yep. got global forces in the Live Tour, you know, impacting uh, how how golf is sort of um, run around the world. You've got competitive forces, you know, amongst players and, and I'm sure there's a lot of politics going on behind the scenes in relation to that. So just a chance to grab him for an hour and have a coffee and say, look, just share with me what's going on in golf because I'm interested in learning something from that um, mm. is a good example. Yeah. If you... Um if you were 
like for someone out there who, who's listening in and you know obviously finds it tough to to get a coffee with someone like what is something you can tell them for something that they can do straight away that'll make you think this person's great uh, as far as trying to find a connection to people? Yeah, well, like just I, I just feel like a lot of people will message someone on LinkedIn and they'll catch up with them and then they'll get there and they'll be nervous or whatever. But like surely there's a few things that you would look for be like, oh, this person's great. They're passionate. I, I just love honesty. Like I yeah. love it if someone reached out to me and said, look, I've never met you before, but I'm interested in a career in sport. Um, yeah. And I'd love to grab half an hour of your time and just ask you a few questions. Um, yeah. And if that was the case, then I think most people – um, are prepared to say yes. Um, and then if that person arrives at that coffee or whatever prepared um, and and has the you know the courtesy to sort of put some thought into what they want to get out of it, then ultimately I think most people, uh, in particular in Melbourne, I think you know sport and entertainment in Melbourne, um, like it or not, um, is very relationship based. Um, and if you just look through the careers of a lot of people who have been involved in sport, often they've spent time at various sporting organisations. Um, you know, I bumped into Sam Bingley the other day, who's now at North Melbourne, and he's, you know, he's been around um, the entertainment industry through radio. He's been involved in cricket. He's been involved in lots of different things. But, you know, he's another good example of, um, you know, someone who's just sort of built a re- built a reputation within sport. And, and I'm sure he like, you know, like me and like others, if someone reached out and said, look, I, I just would really appreciate 30 minutes of your time, then I think most people um, will be prepared to give it. Mm. I think the point that you mentioned around if someone's prepared. It yep. makes a huge difference. Like yep. what for you who's caught up with a lot of different people wanting various different things, what's the feeling that you walk away with when you meet someone who's prepared versus when they're not prepared? Oh, it's far more favorable. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been through interview processes with people who are unprepared for interviews and they just lose me in the first five or six minutes, to be honest, because you can just tell if someone's yep. actually taken the time to research what they're doing. Um, and simple things like, you know, if you if you send a letter as part of an application, then, you know, make sure it's accurate and make sure you don't have simple things like grammatical errors and spelling errors. And I know I sound a bit old school like that, but you just lose people straight away. I had one recently where they hadn't changed the name of the company that, you know, when they applied. <laughs> so it was We're hearing great, a lot know, of these lately. <laughs> dear so-and-so, you know, I'm excited about the opportunity with the Essendon Footy Club. It's like, okay, wrong letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, at least take the time to review it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, look, and maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned like that, but ultimately preparation for something like an interview or a coffee with someone or a presentation, um, I mean, you can see here I've got, you know, I've got notes uh, written down here today because there's probably things that I, you know, that I want to remind myself if I get the chance to say because I don't want to turn up here and waste your time and be unprepared. Um, that's not the right thing by you or by your audience. So that's just, you know, that's just p- perhaps part of my DNA, but something that people can learn. Yeah. Well, I think it reflects on how people would perform in the job as well. Absolutely. If you're not prepared for an interview, yep. how can you expect that person to prepare in their everyday job? Yeah. Yeah. I, spot on. I also like it's about not wasting the person's time. Like you've gone and got a coffee with someone. The least you can do is make that worthwhile mm. for them as well as you. So, yeah, exactly. Um, I want to ask you how – so how do you handle criticism? So it, I don't know about you, Ruse, but, you know, I, I've all the talk around the media and stuff around BBL in the last few weeks has been, oh, you know, they need to go through private ownership and they need to do this to the league. They've got – you know, we had Usman Kawaj the other day come out and say, oh, we need it to be privately owned, like all these kind of things. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure, but 
I'm interested to hear, how do you handle criticism of the league when, you know, internally you'd be like, this is fantastic, our club mm. is fantastic, the mm. league is strong. Yep. How, how do you handle that pressure from an external point of view? Um, I guess it doesn't really trouble me in that uh, often the criticism is um, inaccurate uh, in, in, in some respects. And I think uh, in relation to the BBL in particular, um, the BBL got off to a flyer, you know, as a product. So if you consider it's only 10 years old. So the first the first number of years of the BBL and then probably around BBL 05, 06, it was, you know, it was absolutely flying. Um, mm. So I think in some respects the expectations that people have for the BBL, um, you know, are more related to, you know, the way in which it was, um, you know, previously dominating the sporting landscape uh, early on. But people also forget that, you know, it's still the most watched sport on TV on a per game basis. So, and and the stars are still the team that has the highest TV audience of any of any of the clubs. So, you know, we're still hitting all the key metrics and all the key success factors, um, which is great. Um, you know, we still have the best players in the world playing for us, um, but often they're Australian. Um, but there's also a little bit of misunderstanding around the likes of Warner and Cummins, and they're two ones that often get mentioned. Um, Dave Warner's played three games of BBL. Um, in his career. So it's not as though he's been, you know, yeah. a, a mainstay for the Thunder or the Sixers or another club all the way through. Um, you know, he's played three games previously and I think, you know, he'll play this year, which is great. Um, and I think it's in, it's important that we try and get the best players available to play. Um, you know, so I think in a lot of respects, the criticism doesn't feel like it's labelled necessarily at the club. Um, you know, I do feel for the the BBL team headed by Alistair Dobson, who I think do a great job in in, in running, um, you know, what is the preeminent T20 tournament in the world outside of the IPL. Um, and, 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 and that's a fact. I mean, we have massive crowds still attending and we hope that this year we're through all the COVID stuff and, you know, we, we can have big crowds back at the MCG. Um, and in relation to the privatisation, you know, it's it's good that we're talking about different ways to drive revenue to continue to grow the league. But my concern around privatisation is there's perhaps things that are important to us as a club or us as a us as a league that might not be necessarily important to private owners. And um, you know, I referenced before our Stars Road Trip where we visited 50 schools over three days throughout Victoria um, week before last. You know that's something that's really important to us. Um, might that be important to um, private? Uh, you know, a, a group who owns uh, us as a private equity play potentially not. Um, so I think that's the thing that would be concerned for me is just moving away from the importance of the BBL, which is to you know to to sort of engage the next generation of fans mm. um, through a lot of the community stuff that we do. Um, whether that would be relevant for a you know, private equity group to to continue investing in. I think if nothing else, it shows that a lot of people care, which is a real positive. Absolutely, and yeah. and the draft I think has been a good example of that. Um, you know, we were talking about so the draft was sort of announced back in May, um, which obviously is you know right in the middle of footy season, sort of May June July. Um, you know, we had David Hussey on radio for one day. Um, you know, doing multiple interviews around the overseas draft in early June, um, and the fact that we were talking about the BBL in a really positive way in June and July um, has been fantastic. Um, so, you know, I think innovation like that's important to continue to bring to the league. And I think the BBL as a product um, is really innovative and, and it was created to fill a need yeah. uh, in the cricketing sort of landscape. And obviously you guys were either at CA then or at CA not long after. Um, so you understand, you know, mm. sort of the reason it was created. 
um, you know, it's about fun family entertainment. You know, it's about creating something which is really engaging for that audience over summer, um, you know, which I think we do a really good job of still. Um, you know, we're looking forward to, to this year and, as I said, getting back to some normality. We haven't played cricket in uh, Victoria for it'll, – it'll be over a 1,000 days from um, the last time the WBBL was played here um, when we play our next game here in October. So, you know, even just reconnecting wow. to Victorians mm. – um, to showcase Megan Annabelle and Kimmy Garth and Tess Flintoff and you know all of the wonderful cricketers we have playing for the stars will be uh, a really exciting thing. Mm. And you've got some super talent involved, like you mentioned those girls there as well. The last stars game I went to was um, when Marcus Stoinis belted, I think, 145 or so off not many balls, and then a year later, Glenn Maxwell came out and topped the record as well. So you got you yeah. got incredible talent on display. Yeah, unbelievable. And, you know, Maxwell, Stoinis and Zampa are the three that, that always get mentioned. But you've got, I mean, you've got guys like, um, uh, you know, um, Hilton Cartwright who made runs the other day in the mm. 100. Um, you know, I think he's the next big thing for us. And, you know, as an athlete, he's unbelievable. Um, you know, we've got uh, up-and-coming bowlers like Brody Couch who had a real breakout season last year. We've just re-signed Brody for two years. Um, you know, you've got this crop of uh, unbelievable cricketers who sort of sit in the shadows of Maxwell, Stornis and Zampa in some respects, yeah. but, uh, you know, in their own right are unbelievable. So, um, you know, we've also got a pathway program that we're building now. We're off to Darwin this week to play um, games up there uh, for the next sort of 10 days with that next crop of players coming through, you know, which again, getting back to that list discussion we had earlier, that really does give us uh, insight into who might be next. Uh, to step in, um, you know, step into the stars and really sort of take us down the road to success. A couple more questions before we wrap up. But um, what motivates you to come to work each day? Um, oh, look, to genuinely make a difference in, in, in what we do with promoting the game of cricket in Victoria, um, you know, which I think is something that, that um, I very quickly learnt that we're an important part of. And whilst we've got this fantastic team of, um, you know, the, the sort of the community cricket managers through CV who are out there in schools and in communities, I think the power of the brand f- uh, of the Stars and the Renegades is important in that. Um, I mean, if you look at then, you know, realistically, we haven't won a title. Um, you know, we've probably been the highest profile club since the BBL was uh, was started back in um, all those years ago now, a decade ago now, and we haven't won a title. Um, so that, for me, is a motivating factor. Um, you know, that doesn't dominate all of the discussions we have around what we do on field, but ultimately, you know, I want to be part of the team that gives success to those who have come before me and, and, and see Meg holding a trophy and see Glenn holding a trophy because they deserve it. Love it. Finally, Blair, uh, if you could leave a note for a uni student out there on a table, what would it say? As I said before, I wasn't a great student, so it might say get out of the library and go and have some fun. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh, look, realistically, I think it would be um, uh, never stop learning. And I think yeah. that extends right through to you know, what, I, what I do now is, is sort of you know, trying to continue to further yourself and, and learn from others. Um, because ultimately, um, you know, life is life is a journey that pre- you know presents you with lots of opportunities to learn. So I think my note to a student would be, yeah, never stop learning. Love it. Awesome. Well, we might wrap it up there, but thank you for coming in. Uh, it's Thanks been awesome. Me. Great hearing your journey to get to where you are, but also some of those little things about GM of the Melbourne Stars that you you wouldn't you wouldn't know. So it's been awesome to hear about that, and, and good luck in the draft. Thank you. Um, 
August well. 28th, make sure you're watching. Yeah, yes. well, if you're preparing for this pro- podcast, I can't imagine what sort of preparation has gone into the draft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll take you through that after we get through the draft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Wowee, Rubes. What an episode. That was actually awesome, just hearing the background as to what a general manager of the Melbourne Stars done mm. does. Uh, it was super, super cool. Lots of takeaways. Oh, heaps of takeaway. I just love these guys. Uh, he's got touch points with every single part of the organisation. So, yeah. they're a fascinating role. And I love how motivated he is to get that first BBL title for the Melbourne Stars too. But a couple of things I'm taking away from Blair. Is, number one is you don't have to know everything. You can learn a lot from the people around you. Mm. He mentioned how much time he spent with some of the coaching staff and the high-performance staff when he got to the Melbourne Stars to learn the ins and outs of cricket because he doesn't have a cricket background. Yeah. But he's been brought in to be the head of a cricket team. So it doesn't make sense, you know, on paper. Yeah. But Blair's incredibly talented. He's a quick learner and he's spending a lot of time tapping into the resources around him, which is incredibly smart. So, um that's what I'm going to be doing more. If I don't know something, just ask the people around you who do have the knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my takeaway is just tune into this BBL draft. It's on Fox Cricket. Um, how Blair described, you know, the preparation that goes into that and, and whatnot. It's the first of its kind in cricket. I've never seen a cricket draft. It's going to be super cool. So tune into that and just see what what, what does it look like? Who's at the table? It's pretty complex stuff. So the... Mm. the, the Last we've heard of some kind of draft was in Binook's episode. Yep. Not sure if you know the number. 144. 144. That's in an AFL setting. So this is even like more interesting because like cricket, there's less players, probably a little bit, a lot of strategy going into because it is kind of like one season. So tune in, have mm. a look. It's going to be interesting. Absolutely. Actually, it might be 142. I think Fleur McIntyre is 144. Equally good episode. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then finally, I think the last thing to take away from Blair is just continue to build good relationships, not with people mm. outside in the in the world, but also the people at work too. As you heard Blair describe, each of his jobs came from knowing someone that he worked with at his previous job. Yeah. So if you can build strong relationships, be known for doing good work, then you can leverage that into your next opportunity, which Blair managed to do on three or four occasions. Yeah. No, it's unreal how he... Describe that, wasn't it? Mm. Just went this one, this one, this one, and I knew it was someone at each one of them. So, yep. network effects right there. Exactly. Fantastic. That was a really good episode. Um, what are some other apps people can take a look at if they're interested in cricket or, you know, just general manager or whatever it might be, something related? Mm, yep. Well, if you want to hear about being the general manager of a team, listen to uh, Christy Collier-Hill. She is episode 106. Uh, she's now the head of the WNBL, but at the time she was the head of the Deakin Melbourne Boomers. Yep. So she talks about managing a team. Uh, we mentioned Binock, 142, list management at the Adelaide Crows. He's fascinating as well. Uh, and if you want some more cricket episodes, check out Ermola Rosario. She's mm. the team manager of the Australian women's cricket team who in the last 12 months or so have won the ODI World Cup, the T20 World Cup, and now the Commonwealth Games gold medal. Yep. They are undisputedly the most successful Australian team I think we've ever had. Yeah. And her insight into what goes on behind the scenes and how she works with these elite athletes is incredible too. So she is, a, I reckon, 
episode 81. That one's testing me. It's going back a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and M. Colin as well. That's a great episode just from a cricket point of view. Mm. Awesome stuff. So there's plenty of cricket on this podcast, which we love. It is the factory, mm. as I've said many, many times. Alrighty, well, connect with us on LinkedIn, plus be sure to jump into the SportsGrad community. We'd love to chat with you on there. Head to our website at sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join or head to the link in our show notes. Also, if you love the show, we would love for you to rate the show five stars. Wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 